0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontefract in the house. Oh my word, the original gangster of podcasting. I think he started back in 1888. It's Mitch Joel, everyone in the house, co-founder of Thinker's Wine. We're going to talk a lot about that. It's a platform that empowers companies with personalized and bite-sized thought leadership from the best thinkers in the world. And for some reason, he's invited me into that special club. He's been called a visionary, digital expert, and community leader. He's also an entrepreneur, investor, author, trusted advisor. He's a chronic reader, which is a good thing, and a passionate speaker who connects with people worldwide by sharing his insights on business transformation, innovation, and marketing. Prior to Thinkers One, Mitch spent close to three decades in the technology and media industry as both an executive and, of course, an entrepreneur. This included publishing music magazines, launching a record label, building out media sales as one of the first search engines, marketing one of the first mobile content publishing platforms, and eventually building, running, and selling his own agency to WPP, one of the world's most valuable marketing and communications holding companies. In that role, Mitch was president of the global marketing agency operating in 25 countries with close to 3,000 team members. Mitch is also where I found him, first of all, a best-selling business book author. His first book, Six Pixels of Separation, named after his successful blog and podcast, is a business bestseller. His second book, Control-Alt-Delete, was named one of the best business books of 2013 by Amazon. And when I was chief learning officer at TELUS, I paid Mitch. I hired Mitch to deliver, I think it was one of the first over the web live keynotes i think we might have called it a keynote r or webinar mitch back in the dark ages of 2009 i call him a friend he's agreed to be here today mitch so good to see you thank you um lots to get to obviously we're going to talk a bit about thinkers one because it's a magical little platform over there but i do want to start going kind of down memory lane you're a leader uh you're an entrepreneur you've seen a lot and so I wanted to first actually start back to 2002 and you give credit to that conference, The Power Within, where it, I believe, you know, you've, we've talked about this before, I think in my car, how that kind of changed things 20 years ago. So what was it and what, what were you going into in that conference? All of a sudden you had a demarcation point to create sort of Mitch Joel 2.0. Tell me a bit about that.
1: Well, I'm happy to be here, Dan. Thank you for that very short and generous <laughs> biography. My mother wrote it, Um, and I'm always happy to represent as the East Coast version of Dan because you got that all. Um, 2002 was the year that I joined two of what we became four business partners in this digital digital agency that was Twist Image and became Mira. Mm -hmm. And I walked into this role having done media work, having done advertising sales and that, but never in the role of we're going to build a digital marketing agency. And when I started thinking about the sales process of you know, heading in the car and banging on those doors and telling companies back in 2002, convincing them why they might need a website in this world, because that's really where the world was at. I just found myself thinking differently about the fact that I had been a journalist, the fact that I had done magazines, and that maybe there was something in this content I could create, because again, framing it at this time, we had just started to see the early days of blogs and very mm-hmm. nascent days of podcasts. As I was trying to frame what sales would look like for this agency, I recognized that I didn't have a university or college degree. I had, I mean, I had sales experience, but I'd never really done sales training Mm. and I thought let's amplify those skills. And it just so happens that there was this event in Toronto, I live in Montreal called the power within sales mastery. And back then they didn't have online ticket sales. So I wound up calling this number, (laughs) speaking to an individual, They sold me a ticket and said, Hey, when you show up, yeah, let's, you know, come over to say, hi, hi. Okay. I'll do all that stuff. So get in the car, Montreal, Toronto drive. For those who don't know about six hours, I'm doing this, no hotel, no stay over. I don't have much money. I'm in debt at this point. So wake up at, you know, three in the morning, and start driving so I can be there, uh, Get to the event, and it's got all the all the great sales names you can imagine in a very large, impressive room in one of the convention centers, from what I can remember. Went over, introduced myself to this individual, Scott Kavanaugh, who he and I are still really close friends, which is a beautiful thing. And Scott introduces me to the owner of the event, a couple of other people. It turns out that just through my nerdism and reading books, I'd reached out to some of the people on stage just saying hi and getting to know some other people, things like that. Uh, fast forward, the owner of this event says, hey, if you're ever in Toronto and need a place to put your stuff down or do some work, you know we're growing our office, but we have some space. And I thought, well, oh, this is amazing to be able to have office space or a place to just put my bags while I go about my meetings in Toronto. I thought was great, and I did that many times. And on one of these occasions, he walked into the office and said, you know, watching your blog, early days of podcasting, see what you're doing, see what you're writing, I think it'd be interesting for you to get up on stage and talk about this idea of a personal brand. Because back then, besides somebody like Tom Peters and his article in Fast Company, there was a handful of us, but not many, that were leveraging all of these social and digital technologies to amplify our messages. It wasn't about taking pictures of our food or <laughs> us in a business class on a plane. It was really content-based. And primarily because all we had was blogs to do this. Twitter didn't exist back then. So I agreed. I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And then realized the magnitude of what I just agreed to, which was my first event uh, in Edmonton many, many months later on stage at this full leadership event with Dr. Phil as the headliner. We're talking five or 6,000 people. And You know, the gap between saying yes and that event were very pivotal in my career. Not only was Twist Image growing and we were pitching and winning business like Telus at the time as well, but I decided I wanted to take it seriously while at the same time I was really nervous. Hmm. So I thought I could write the speech and stand at a lectern and deliver it as the president of an agency and went through the whole rigmarole. But at the time, i had already been following people like Jeffrey Gittimer, uh, Sally Hogshead, Seth Godin, Tom Peters, and I was seeing this new style of presenting emerge that I really liked. This fast-paced, not bullet-point slides, just fun images. And I thought maybe there's something here. And I took it really seriously. Like I went into Rocky Balboa training mode. <laughs> I worked with stand-up comedian buddy of mine. I I showed it a million times to my partners. We had presentation coach. I I went to um, what's the weekly event that they have for speakers all around the world. I can't remember. Toastmasters. Toastmasters. I had a friend who was at Toastmasters. She invited me to come and show it to, to their audience and get feedback. And, you know, even flying to Edmonton, I was, you know, I could have easily gotten off the plane and gotten back on, gone back to Montreal because the anxiety level was intense, but I powered through it. And then the irony of these events is when you're done presenting on stage, they bring you to this area where you're supposed to sign books. I didn't have a book at the time, (laughs) but the the program for the event was a magazine that I'd written an article for. And there was a lineup of people to get my autograph and Uh. take pictures. I couldn't believe it. And one of the first people to walk over was a representative of a speaker spotlight, which to this day is my speaking bureau. And she, Marnie was saying, Hey, you need to meet and and I literally wound up getting my speaking bureau. like it, It's just a whole bunch of things that led to an entirely different way to think about sales, content, leadership, and beyond. So that's my short answer.
0: It became essentially a Mitch Joel pie graph then because you have so many components and continue to add pieces to the Mitch Joel pie graph, which is what I love about you. You're not just entrepreneurial, but you're intrapreneurial. Like you look at yourself and you say what else could i do and you're always tweaking kind of the mitch joel yeah repertoire is that fair well
1: it's fair but put on my marketing brain i always thought that the companies i represent because they were partially mine or entirely mine were multi-brand portfolios we were managing so if you think about Mm. the agency twist image we had this asset called six pixels of separation which was at the time a blog and a podcast So it was Six Pixels of Separation, the Twist Image blog or Twist Image podcast. We were also managing this brand of Mitch Joel, this media personality, this person who was talking about how digital is going to change everything and the future is digital and all that stuff. Again, back in 2002, it's evolved since then. We've expanded that to book deals, representation, at speaking bureaus, writing articles and being paid for them because I had a background in journalism. And so if you fast forward to where we're at with thinkers one, it's a similar deployment of this brand portfolio leadership strategy, mm-hmm. which is we're talking about thinkers one, but we have six pixels of separation. I was able to extract that from uh, the, the deal we had with WPP. So I've got the six pixel separation in a thinkers one podcast and thinkers one blog. And we've got Mitch Joel, who after all these years has, you know, multi-office representation with speaking bureaus and does 40 to 60 events a year. I'm constantly appearing on places like this and doing a lot in the media to still propagate this idea of how do we think and how do we decode the future as leaders? So I like the idea of a multi-brand component because as you can see, if you sell an asset, it can become transferable. And then Mm -hmm. if you have an individual who has an acumen communications marketing whatever it might be they in and of themselves can have a level of personality the trick with it is always keeping it connected so whenever you see my name you will often see it as mitch joel president or co-founder of thinkers one author of or just six pixels of separation because people tend to know that brand as well i'm always making sure that there's this triangulation of these three brands
0: you uh, knowingly or unknowingly slip in and out of third-person Mitch Joel and first-person Mitch Joel. So is that like part of the point? Is that sometimes yeah. you have to look at yourself out, an out-of-body experience from a marketing perspective? Say, well, how does Mitch Joel fit into this, and then how do I fit into that? Is that, how do you how do you do that?
1: Well, it, it comes from my own personality that if you can understand that there is a brand equity of Mitch Joel in the marketplace, professional speaker, podcaster, media personality, whatever it might be, that to me has to be different because of my, I don't want to have ego on that. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to be about me. So I'm always telling people who ask about where I'm at. I say, I try to be very personable in the content, but not personal so that I can also have a bit of distance when I close the lights in the studio and I go home and I do the things I like to do from that. But a bit of that personality detachment as weird as it sounds is I'm constantly thinking that if this Mitchell name is on this, whatever it might be, this podcast, this article I'm writing, this speaking event I'm doing, this book I'm writing, how does it align to the two other brands of six pixels and thinkers want? And so for me, it's always about a brand, consumer behavior, technology, and the intersection of those and thought leadership. So I'm constantly just trying to make sure that that brand is aligned to it. And I also do it because it's not just solo. I have a business partner. In certain instances, we have employees or partners. And I want them to know that, I actually am somewhat detached that I'm trying to make sure what's right for that brand because all of the brands have to work together. If one is greater than the other, or one overtakes another, the model can crack.
0: So <laughs> with Thinker's One, first of all, let's, let's hear from the horse's mouth, you, Mitch, what is it? And then we'll get into a couple other questions related to the uh, after effects of what it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, the marketing line of it is it's a way for companies to buy bite-sized and personalized thought leadership from the best thinkers like you uh, in the world. What this really means is that typically people like you and I are usually accessible in the form of consulting, in the form of keynote speeches, larger mandates, licensing deals, things like that. We are, in essence, inaccessible to most small, medium-sized businesses, nonprofits, startups, even large uh, teams within larger organizations like just the sales team or just the leadership team. And my theory as COVID kicked in and as more and more of us got very comfortable with video being as live and in the moment as physical, which is what we now have in this hybrid virtual remote world, That perhaps people like you and I shouldn't just be there at the big customer summit or the big industry association gathering, but can we make people like you and I accessible to everyday meetings, lunch and learns, gifts for clients, maybe even a personalized note for someone on the team who might like our work this is the sediments of what thinkers one was, but of course technology had to enable it. So using a platform like Shopify and a very customized marketplace platform, I reached out, we've got about a hundred thought leaders, again, people like you on there who have three very unique and distinct products that they can sell. So I like to think of thinkers one as eBay and that the thought leader is actually the seller on the platform mm-hmm. and it enables the buyer, which is companies or individuals to come in choose the thought leader or topic they like, choose what they're looking for, be able to personalize it through a form once they hit the order button, slap it on a credit card and either have that thought leader pop into their meeting or provide them with some type of recorded video experience. So it's, it's both synchronous and asynchronous depending on the product you take. And the way we make it more accessible is a couple ways. One is uh, hopefully by price point so that we're not at the level of which we typically get for our consulting and keynotes and other activities. Two is length, so it's a bit shorter in time, usually in the 15 minutes-ish zone, so under well under a keynote size. And then the third one is because of the e-commerce engine, it really does have a line of separation between the thought leader and the client who would say things like, can you make it shorter, can you do this? Like That's not what this platform's for. That's why they have their main or their core product. So that's what we're doing. And we're just trying to make people like us make meetings more engaging, make work better. Why? You look at Gallup, you look at Nielsen. If you see how how distanced most employees are feeling disconnected, disengaged from work, one of the main reasons is they feel like they're not learning or growing. Mm-hmm. And I believe that Thinkers One would is an excellent exceptional gateway for companies to make their employees more engaged. And by the way, it doesn't cut into additional time because they can run these in their regularly scheduled meetings.
0: To me, I mean, one of the things that I loved about it when you reached out and said, hey, look at what we're cooking up over here with Thinkers1, uh, I thought about it, I, I put my chief learning officer hat on, of course, I'm a recovering one. And I, I think about exactly where you're, you you had pointed out, Mitch, and that is the team member needs to feel connected if they want to be part of a culture. And what, ironically, I suppose, right, what COVID did was disassociate ourselves from others, and so what I'm hearing you say is that Thinkers1 also has an ability to unite and actually to create a culture if we're still going to be in these hybrid scenarios. So do you see Thinkers1 as a way in which to bridge some of those gaps that have, um, well, let's be honest, we're coming into the pandemic already and we're exacerbated by the pandemic itself?
1: Yes, and. And the and part is, if you think about the model, I would beg others to say, what other platform, maybe besides thinkers One works in all three formats, a physical environment, a virtual or a hybrid. So think about it. If everybody were here physically in my office boardroom right now where I'm recording and we were having our leadership meeting, I said, before we go, we have a special video message for us created uniquely for us by Dan Pontefract, watch this, or you were there live for 20 minutes so asynchronous or not, Mm. that would be very powerful. If it's hybrid, it works. If it's virtual, it works. So the part that I think is magical about this is it satiates the biggest challenge that these chief learning officers or the L&D department or the HR department is facing, which is I can do a bunch of things, but most of them only work if we're all there in person or if we're hybrid, like they have to then cobble together more than they had to. And the real thing is, and I surveyed people on LinkedIn, and you could see there was you know almost 60% of people on there and several hundred of them were saying that they have more meetings than ever before, which makes sense. If right. you think about, we thought, oh, you know, because of, co- no, we have more meetings because now we have to, oh, I need you for 15 minutes. I'm not here, I'm physically not there. It's really a lot. And what's happening is, as, as we know, is it's like the torso experience. You're not really getting what we need and versus me walking over and grabbing a coffee with you or walking, we run into someone else, every meeting or need becomes a 15, 30 or 60 minute or 45 minute, block in your calendar. And so with all that, my thinking, and it looks like the data is backing this up now, is that these chief learning officers, these L&D, these HR departments are really trying to navigate a world where people are going to virtually burn out more than they ever have. And so again, what I think makes it unique is that it satiates all three moments. And that makes it really powerful because these chief learning officers now aren't trying to figure out, well, If it's a physical event, what am I doing to make this worthwhile? If it's a virtual event, what am I doing? If it's a hybrid, and that is right now what they're doing, which is a really challenging place for everybody to be.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. I mean, if culture is going to be your competitive advantage, you have to think about where your team member is at in terms of their uh, commitment to the organization and how as learning officers, HR people, even executives, non-HR, have to be thinking about what are we going to do to create these connections And if that connection can come at meetings at the beginning with a 10-minute live piece from me or you or some of the other thinkers, I think it does a wonderful way to say, oh, my leader's thinking about us differently. And there's some expert from the outside that they care enough about to bring in for whatever, 10 minutes, 12 minutes. And then it kind of kicks off a meeting or a roundtable or something. I just think that's why I love it so unique. So how are you seeing some of the success, uh, I guess, metrics or factors in how so far Thinkers 1 is going?
1: Well, I'd amplify what you're saying, and also what's beautiful about the platform, and again, it'll be expanding as we add more and more thinkers in different topics, is the fact that not only are you doing exactly what you said, but you can cater that message, by depending on who you choose and the topics they have, to issues that you are directly dealing with. So it's not this ambiguous, let's just have someone come in here and talk to us about random things. If you're thinking about, look, we're going through this massive digital transformation, maybe Mitch is your person. If we're thinking about how do we lead better as a team, maybe Dan is your person. Mm-hmm. So that's the other piece of magic to it. In terms of success, it's been really great. If I think about it okay. from the thought leader or the thinker side, they do this, they get the order, they fill the order, they show up, we we'll create this video, and they get paid. And this is, as you know, this is much different from our world of the back and forth, getting invoices signed, getting into procurement, selling the bill, waiting for it. You never get paid. You got to chase them down. Like So from their efficiency side, the ability to come in, be brief, be brilliant, be gone. It's magical. It's really, really great. Uh, From the client side, it's funny. I jokingly say I think they're surprised by how good the product is because it's been a lot of very, very complimentary Uh, feedback for it. And I think part of the reason is even though on each thought leader's platform, they have a video demo showing you what it's going to look like. I think just culturally, we think it's going to be the thought leader on a cell phone on their balcony in Florida or something. (laughs) So when they get these highly professional, really good looking HD 1080p videos, they're like, this is amazing. Not to mention the fact that one, these thought leaders aren't celebrities who are just doing this for the side. They are passionate about connecting their ideas to more people. So the content is of high quality, the production is of high quality. And to me, that's the metric. The metric is, is the thought leader suddenly really encouraged to try and sell these more and more because it's a great way for any organization to test the brand essentially, right? Take Dan Pontefract for a test drive and see if you like his content. And the other side is what's the feedback from the companies? The unique aspect of this that we're dealing with, and it's a marketing challenge and sales challenges, it's something new. I don't mm-hmm. think companies are used to slap it on a credit card and have it show up. They're used to the process, the admin process we talk, we spoke about. So you know, with every new business, there's challenges with building a marketplace, supply and demand, there's challenges. But I look at it more like this is a great way to help thought leaders get their messages to more and more people. But more importantly, it is a social business for me, meaning at the end of the year, when I look at where I spoke and I primarily do keynote speeches, I don't do much consulting or anything. It's usually just for companies that can afford my fee. Mm -hmm. How many of those companies that reached out to me during the year could have used my content? There's many, but they didn't have the budget. So now instead of the hard no, because you can't afford my core products, I have a way for them to connect as well. So that's the non-analytic, data-driven feedback that I'm looking for right now.
0: One of the things that I also need to bring up, I suppose, is that ThinkersOne has over 100 thinkers, thought leaders, others uh, in the platform. And Mitch Joel, I'm talking third person right now. Seems to be like the master networker, the connector of all communities. I mean, you're the, as mentioned in the intro, the original gangster of what a podcast is. And so you've been curating a community and a network for years, decades. So how how have you helped yourself, I suppose, in the launch of Thinkers One by having potentially, I'm not sure, but an arsenal of people just to knock on their door and say, hey, I got an idea would you like to join and then the second question is how do you curate and 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 bolster you know the thought leaders coming into the platform
1: i think it was jeffrey Gittimer who wrote the sales bible little red book of selling who said my network is my net worth and i was a follower of his from a very early professional stage keith Ferrazzi wrote the book never eat alone and i prescribed to that as well You know that if I'm in Victoria or anywhere near you, we're probably going to grab a meal and hang out. I believe that your network is your net worth. And so even before anything related to digital media and thought leadership, when I was in the music business, it was the same. I have French this day that I've known since the late eighties because of our relationship in the music business. I pride myself. That is the thing I collect. That is to me the, what will be when I'm gone in dust Hopefully they'll say he had so many interesting connections and conversations. It's what stimulates me. It's actually quite selfish in a very, very uh, giving way. And in terms of curating the thought leaders, I mean, I appreciate the kind words. Were there people who just said, Mitch is doing it, I'll be a part of it? You know, Maybe, but the truth is it's for them and their business. I would hope that they would hear the idea and not do it because it's for me, but do it because it's better for them. And that, that would be the core thing. And our decision, Aubrey Rosenheck is my business partner. Aubrey and I have decided to keep it as a closed platform and a closed marketplace is for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it's not hard to see that even looking at this Zoom, we are both, as we say in the business, male, pale, and stale. Right, We are both middle-aged white guys with a tremendous amount of privilege in a very complex world.
0: Both 1971, I, by the way. Exactly. 19, yeah, exactly.
1: We don't talk about that. Yeah, we I don't, look yeah. much younger than that. Of course That's you do. Other, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, it's important to have diversity: diversity of color, diversity of gender, diversity of thought, diversity of voice, diversity of category and industry served, diversity of language, diversity of location, geography. That is core to what we're doing. So one is there's just this general feeling of creating some level of better diversity and equity in a world where I can affect it in my company, at least and try. The second aspect is, and we know this, is not everybody who's a great keynote speaker or consultant or brilliant person is actually really good on video. Yeah. So the other side is I'm also curating for people who can effectively communicate through video and get the client what they need in a powerful way. So there's a bit of that. And then three is topic type. I need to make sure that it's not all the same types of topic. I need to have more diversity in topic as well. That's part of the reason. The other reason is I want to make sure that everybody who's on the platform is somebody I would hire, somebody I would refer to. Right. Somebody whose name I would be proud to say, if you work with them, there will be no stain on Mitch Joel for that recommendation. It will be nothing but thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pride myself on that because the network doesn't work if the reputation fails.
0: This is so true. Okay. I want to go tangentially just a little bit, but it relates back to Thinker's One. And, and that has to do ultimately with your career. And if you're looking back a little bit and still looking forward with Thinkers One, I'm very curious, Mitch, given you've uh, been a master networker, my network is my net worth, given you've launched, sold, launched businesses, uh, you've been acquired and gone through acquisitions and having to be part of not no longer being the top dog, but being a, a dog in the pack, if you will. I'm just curious. So if you're looking back in the rearview mirror a little bit, What have you learned about us? And when I say us, I mean leaders and how organizational culture has shifted. Where do you see the pluses? Where are some of the minuses? Where do you want things to still go? I'd like to just tap into your brain a little bit, given the fact this is called Leadership Now. What do you see from a leadership perspective, from the rearview mirror and looking ahead?
1: I'm going to answer this in a tangential way, and then you can draw me back in if you want more specifics. What I think about what made this work and what made things not work historically in my life. And that has been from solopreneur, entrepreneur, startup tech, non-tech, working mm-hmm. in large companies, working in nonprofits. I've done quite a bit. The thing I am actually most proud of is the fact that if I think about Twist Image, which is a company that started in 2000 with just a couple of people, I joined 2002, we brought in a fourth partner, so we were four partners, and then grew it to the point where we sold it about nine years ago and exited about you know, four or five. The fact that as four business partners who had very different roles in the organization, one was CEO, I was more sales president, one was more tech design, one was more CFO operational, The fact that the four of us are still best friends, Mm. the fact that we text each other all the time, still the fact that I still work with one of them, Aubrey, who's my business partner, and the fact that I can look at what was that large acquisition over a larger period of time of Twist Image becoming Miriam and seeing that the people who had acquired us from both WPP, which was the holding company, and Mm -hmm. even what is now Wonderman, how almost anybody who had touched our acquisition did not outlast the four of us. I mean, it's staggering to think about that we've made it longer. The fact that there's the CFO of the international massive large organization came to us and said at the end before it was all done saying, how, how are you together? You're in a world where any other agency that's been acquired, partner left. Someone got fired. They got into a fight. This person wanted to sue that person. And we, and we saw that with the other acquisitions that were done. So it's a tangential way of saying You need to align yourself with the best possible people. And usually those people are not the ones who are like you. In fact, they're the opposite. The Mm. reason the four of us worked so well was, one, I didn't like the work that any of the other three had to do. And candidly, they didn't like the work that I had to do. So the fact that I'm getting up on stage and getting accolades (laughs) was not something that any of the other three actually wanted at all. And the fact that they could be at home and with their kids and having supper, and I'm in some hotel in Florida, they didn't mind that at all. The other thing that I think plays into the story as well, and we're seeing this in the economy at a greater scale, is we made an agreement. And the agreement was, we will always be knives out. Our backs with each other, knives out. The reason is the minute something goes sideways, always, the first thing that happens is everyone turns and goes knives in. Whose fault is it? Who's the problem? we got to get rid of it. And we said, it will never be that way. We will blow the entire team that we hired out of the water if it means the four of us have to start over again. That was the psychology and philosophy of how we operated. You had an employee come in and talk crap about one of the partners. None of that. None of that was happening. That makes it really hard, by the way. It makes it hard for a fifth to rise. It's a different type of business. It makes it really challenging in a lot of different ways. But we knew that if we could survive and thrive and grow like that, that would be some of the best. And again, you know, my greatest pride is in the fact that we did it for without any quit, without any leaving, without anybody not carrying their weight, that bucket up that hill. We did it. And I think there's a lot of lessons to be pulled from what's happening in leadership today versus what should be happening by that story. Not because it's me and go Mitch, but just because I've spent so much time in so many industries. And I don't think I've ever seen that ever.
0: You're a music aficionado, of course. And it uh, sort of slightly reminds me to two um, sort of tragically hip references. If we can bring in uh jake old I knew and,
1: you are going to
0: <laughs> well so the two things are this right at first uh rob baker who's lead guitarist of the hip when the hip ended their career back in uh 2016 on august the 20th sort of came out about a month later and said i got this text from a band in um in texas or atlanta and uh the text basically was you landed the balloon no one ever lands the balloon right And you were intact for all these years. And it sounds similar to that you've landed your balloon, but are still friends uh, within the construct of what you created and that sort of that familial atmosphere of being kin to one another.
1: I spent so many years in the music industry, and some might argue I'm still there because I have a bass podcast that I do. And I just have, again, like I could go into any industry I was in, from publishing magazines to the music business, to tech, to nonprofit. And I just I just don't see it. I've seen individuals last 20, 30, 40 years, but never united as a front. It's very rare. It's very uncommon. So I heard that same story and it did make me smile. You know, the difference in the tragically hip obviously is the tragedy part that Gord Downey, the, the lead singer, died. So is it true that they could have been able to land the balloon if he had remained and years later? Hmm. We'll never really know. But here we sit, knock on wood, healthy four individuals. One remains my business partner. All of us together are very connected. Uh, We didn't land the balloon. The balloon, as far as I'm concerned, is still hovering.
0: (laughs) Okay, gotcha. Excellent. All right. uh, Final question, and then we find out more about Mitch Joel and Thinkers One. Obviously, words of wisdom. So, people listening in, watching uh, us yammer on about uh, all things under the sun of thought leadership and thinkers and leadership itself. What's the words of wisdom from Mitch Joel as this is um, 2023, looking ahead? what What is it that you believe that as a leader of self, and even if you are a leader of others, what should we be thinking about in this day and age of where society is? Because you're such a chronic reader. You're such a plugged in individual. You You always pontificate about things. When we have our beers or dinners, you're always on about something. I'm curious for the listener and the watch, watcher, the viewer, What is it that you, Mitch Joel, would subscribe to for people to be looking out for going forward?
1: I think we are spending way too much time on our screens. And there's an irony and a paradox in this, that it's easy to treat TikTok like the new fidget spinner, (laughs) that it's easy to be having dinner and to also have the phone and the texts and the back and forth. And I have young kids. I watch how they interact. It might be old man on the porch yelling, get off the lawn. But I really believe, really believe in what happens in our protein form. And I think that even this type of engagement, although we are technically connected, but not in our protein forms, that there still can be real and tangible connections, meaning I don't have a YouTube screen open here. I don't have my messaging. I've simply gone to the upper right corner of that screen and hit focus, do not disturb. That we need to be more present. As a leader, your team has never felt this disconnected, not even from you, not even from their teammates, but to the actual work that they do. So we have a real job. And the only way to create real connection is by being present. So I think we have a presentism crisis right now. And we don't even see it because we are so habituated to how we think we are working that I'll be on Zoom and my emails are going and my instant messages is going, my Slack is going and all this. And I, I'm not going to argue here about if you can multitask or it's the nature of work today. I am asking and begging leaders to simply be present. They will remember this moment in time. They will remember every time if you have a chance to meet somebody in person, You tell me what was more relevant. The last time you remind yourself, The last time I was on Zoom with that person, what was that conversation? Versus the last time we sat down and had coffee, what was that conversation? Mm -hmm. I bet you there's a multiple of your ability as a leader to remember the physical one over that digital one. So we have to be very actively present in a world where the distractions are just everywhere.
0: There's too much squirrel, Mitch. There's too much squirrel. I tell you that. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. Thank you for that. Okay. Mitch Joel, founder, co-founder of Thinker's One, I should say, sorry, platform that empowers companies with personalized and bite-sized thought leadership from the best thinkers in the world. Mitch, where can we find out more about you and, of course, Thinker's One?
1: So thinkersone.com forward slash Dan Pontefract That's exactly what we're talking about. You can go to sixpixels.com and follow all the content as well, but thinkersone.com is the place to be
0: you're amazing mitch is my man uh thank you so much for this and all that you do mitch i mean people have been looking up to you for years as i have i just love how your brain works you're a connector of ideas and thought leadership but you're a kind humanistic person from the get-go and that's where i think your real sweet spot is mitch you look at things from a humanity perspective just as per the the last answer you gave in terms of our uh, distractedness and having to become more present, thank you for being human and humane in what you do and what you bring to the world.
1: Well, the reason it works is because it's a mutual admiration society. So whatever you said bounces off me and sticks onto you.
0: <laughs> I love the boomerang effect. Fantastic. Okay, everyone. Thanks for tuning in another episode of Leadership Now today with very special guest, my man, Mitch Joel. Thank you, Mitch.